Well, good evening. It is a rare and incredible privilege to be here. Um, lots of important relationships. My name is Chip Ingram. I realize that I've uh, been a pastor as of this month for 30 years. And uh, yeah, it's amazing. And 30 years ago, I uh, got to go, Teresa and myself, and we had three kids at the time. Our smallest was only 18 months old. His name was Ryan. And uh, we met some really neat people there in that church of 35 people, a couple named Steve and Dana Clifford. And so you can see where there's been a long journey. And then I remember years later when some elders from Westgate came to Santa Cruz Bible Church and talked about this guy named Steve going over and being the pastor at Westgate. And to stand here now 30 years later and that 18-month-year-old has grown up and in partnership with uh, as good a friend as I've ever had in the world and Steve and seeing that church grow and flourish and now give birth to awakening it is a very uh, sobering and joyful moment uh, we're going to do two things tonight number one we're going to ordain Ryan to the gospel ministry uh, number two we're going to launch awakening church uh, now, I don't know about you, but I didn't grow up with much religious background, and so ordination, you don't do them every week, so you kind of wonder, like, what is it exactly? And so I Googled it to find out. <laughs> and I found out if I Googled it that uh, I could get a free online ordination. I could do it fast. I could be an ordained minister today at the Universal Life Do Your Thing Church, um, and then I could do weddings and make money. Um, but really, the word ordination uh, comes from two Greek words that mean literally the laying on of hands. And as Jesus uh, selected the apostles, and then they, in each succession, would lay hands on specific men and people for specific ministry, it was called ordination. And there's three aspects to ordination that makes it very important, very sobering, both for those that are ordained and for those that will be a part of that group. The first is uh, it recognizes God's call upon that person for ministry vocationally. Second, it, it acknowledges that this person has been tested, evaluated, and trained and equipped for this call. When the elders of Westgate come up here and they literally lay hands on Ryan, they are communicating that they believe from God after watching his life in partnership with you that he has been vetted and that he's ready, that he's prepared to be an ordained minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And third, it transfers the authority spiritually and responsibility to fulfill the office as the pastor teacher of this flock. Then I thought of three really quick questions. Number one, what does this mean for Ryan? For Ryan tonight means that he'll make the third great commitment of his entire life. It's a very holy, holy, sobering moment for him. On a certain day at a certain time, he made a commitment in response to Christ's love to Jesus. On another certain day at a certain time, he made a life commitment to his marriage partner, Jenny. And tonight, he'll make a sobering commitment. Not that he's not already been committed to the Lord, but this will be an official sobering commitment to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to lead as the pastor teacher of this flock. What it means for Westgate is they are confirming Ryan is fit and prepared for ministry. And as they <clears throat> lay their hands on him, they authorize him as one to lead the new birth of the church out of Westgate. 
What it means for you at Awakening is for you to receive Ryan as your pastor. And that commitment goes two ways. Tonight, as the elders lay hand on and pray for him, you will be praying with him and saying, we support, we will pray for, we will respect, we will honor his leadership as one placed here by God. Now, I can tell you, as his father, he's not going to do everything right. <laughs> and that, that's, that's the time when he needs you the most. It's hard to be a pastor. It's hard to walk with God. It's very unpopular at times. You make hard decisions. You confront people on things you wish you didn't have to. There's incredible pressure. He and Jenny and their kids will need you desperately. And when you say pray, I don't mean like, oh, little. I mean you really pray for them. You're friends with them. You care for them. You respect their leadership. You, you lovingly hold them accountable to what he teaches. And that's what it means for you. Then I thought about, well, let's put some flesh on these bones. And I thought about, Ryan, what would I say to any pastor, let alone my son, who's going to be ordained about what it really looks like? And um, uh, what I would tell you, son, is that uh, if, if I could give one word of recommendation, I did this very intuitively. I was single until I was close to 25, and I was involved in ministry, but not official vocational ministry. But I was lonely a lot, and I was going through one of those windows of time where I wasn't very close to my dad. And I would find myself uh, either fixing meals that were very, very bad, usually cold cereal, <laughs> or eggs on a good night. And about once every three weeks, I would splurge and go to this little, it was like a sizzler, Ponderosa Steakhouse. <laughs> and in the old days, for like $3.99, you could get a hamburger steak and a cup of coffee. And I would sit in the corner, and I would read First and Second Timothy over and over and over, like there was this fatherly figure talking to me about what it meant to be a man of God. And all I can tell you, Ryan, is that if you want to be a great pastor, just listen to what Paul said to his young friend, Timothy. In chapter 1, he says, make sure the goal of your instruction is it's love from a pure heart. It's a good conscience and a sincere faith. And in chapter 2, he'll talk about praying and never losing sight of those that are outside of Christ. And in chapter 3, he'll talk about leadership and priorities. And then in chapter 4, he'll go on and talk about how to deal with false teachers. And by chapter 6, the lure of money. And in 2 Timothy, he'll open it up and say, you'll get pulled away from your calling and what you're good at. You need to stir aflame the gift that God's put in you, that you do what only you can do. And then in chapter 2, he's going to go on and say, it's hard but you need to be focused on grace and you need to draw upon the grace of God so that you can be like a soldier, a farmer, and an athlete. Someone who's called to duty, someone who works hard, someone who plays by the rules, and someone who trusts God with all their heart. Chapter 3 of Second Timothy, he's going to tell you it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And you're going to do this in an upstream culture and it's going to be painful and difficult. And then he's going to close it out and say, there's a great reward for you, son. Preach the word in season and out of season. Go for broke. Do the work of an evangelist. And then he would say, he's already being poured out as a drink offering. But you fight the good fight. Run the race. Finish it well. And I would just encourage you to read First and Second Timothy often as though he was talking directly to you. In terms of giving you some very specific uh, pictures, I think, of what it looks like for tonight, uh, I want to read the first, I guess I'd call him maybe the very first church planter or the best church planter. And uh, if you have a Bible, uh, open to Acts chapter 20, and I'm just going to overview a passage 
Because this is the Apostle Paul. The context is it's one of not only his favorite church, but one of the healthiest churches. It's one that he stayed with for three years. And he's on his way to Jerusalem. And he knows that hardship and difficulty and suffering and testing are coming. And he calls the, the elders to come outside the city. And they meet on the beach. And he talks about his journey there. And I'm going to read this. It's a very brief passage. And as I read it, I want you to listen, Ryan, very carefully how Paul describes the kind of pastor he was to the Ephesians. What did he do? What kind of man was he? And then I want you all that are here to listen very carefully about the kind of lives that he expected and taught and what it took for that church. It was a pivotal city like your city. It was a city that was strategically placed that literally changed the whole world. And so the Apostle Paul, knowing this would be the last time he would ever be with them, in verse 17, he says, From Miletus, Paul sent for the Ephesian elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, notice carefully, You know how I lived among you the whole time. From the very first day that I came to the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. And although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews, you know I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus. And Ryan, what I would say is um, what Paul was saying there was, you know, and it's an interesting word. It wasn't intellectual. You know by the way I lived that I lived the life. I served God. I told it like it was. I wasn't focused on me. It was with humility. I did it deeply engaged in your lives. It was with tears. We went through hard things together. And he says, you know that even when it was hard, I didn't hold it back, and I showed no partiality. When I talked to Jews or I talked to Gentiles, I want you to know that I lived the life. And Ryan, I have never seen a church anywhere in America or around the world that surpasses the commitment and the love and the godliness of their pastor. Churches rise and fall with whether pastors, not perfect at all, but live the life. Second thing Paul does is uh, he picks it up and he talks about his commitment to the word. In verse 22 he says, Now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship face me. However, I consider... My life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task of the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And so he says that, uh, number one, I didn't withhold. He teaches the word, but notice he pleases God. I think one of the hardest things, part of being a pastor is you, you like to be liked and you want to please people. And churches usually come to a point uh, where you get this choice as a pastor to do what down deep you really know is right or what a lot of people think you ought to do. And one is very popular with God and the other is really popular with people. And the great majority of all churches in America and all around the world plateau and stop because they do not have a courageous pastor. They do not have a pastor that's willing to look people in the eye and do what God calls the church to be instead of what people want the church to be. And I remember this is a verse that uh, sort of a time in my life when maybe my wife sensed that I needed a, a shot in the arm maybe 10, 12 years ago. And I have a little plaque, and it sits on the very front of my desk. 
and I've been into sports a lot, and so it was a little plaque she gave me for my birthday, and it says June 21st, God's MVP for most valuable player, and on it, it says, my life is worth nothing unless I do what God called me to do and fulfill the task he has given me to do. And Ryan, God has a call on your life. And he's called these people to come together to help fulfill this season of that call. And so live the life, teach the word, and please the Lord. Finally, he wraps it up. He says, now he's leaving. I commit you to God and to the word of his grace that can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've not coveted any man's silver or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. And remembering the words the Lord Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he said these things, he knelt down with them and he prayed. And they all wept and they embraced and they kissed him and they were grieved. And they were grieved most of all that they know that they would never see him again. And then they followed him to the ship. And I would say here, Paul walked by faith, faith in God's ability. He says, I commend you to God. As he was leaving, he didn't think it all depended on him. He, he believed it was God who was going to work, not him. And he says, I commend you to God and the word of his grace. He believed, Ryan, God's words were more powerful than any words that you'll have. And then notice his motives. He says, I didn't covenant anybody's silver or gold. I wasn't in this for the money. He trusted God's resources, not people's resources. He had faith to persevere. He said, you saw and you know very much that in the midst of all this, I work very hard. He was a tent maker. He worked all day to earn enough money to preach and teach and do whatever he needed to do. And finally, he had enough faith to be vulnerable. You don't weep with people. You don't kneel at a beach and people don't hate to see you go unless you've been authentic and real and vulnerable. Paul had faith in God. He had faith in his word. He had faith to meet his needs. He had faith to persevere. And he had faith to be vulnerable. And I guess I'd say, Ryan, you know, if there's, I could just wrap it up for you, it'd be this. Um, live the life. Teach the word. Please the Lord. Trust God to provide. Just get, walk by faith. Just trust God to provide. Don't ask what you're supposed to do based on what you have or don't have in money or staff or space. Ask God what he wants you to do and then call people together to do whatever that is and then watch him provide. He's got a great plan for you all. And we are deeply, deeply honored to even be a small part of celebrating that. And the elders of Westgate are going to come now and ordain or literally lay hands on Ryan as Steve uh, shares what that all means. On behalf of Westgate Church, it is a tremendous honor to entrust our resources to you because we believe it is a great investment in our city, a great investment in the kingdom of God. Ordination's a weird thing. Let's just be honest. As soon as Chip began to talk about it, you realized, I'm not even sure what that is. It manages with it, or it comes with some tensions that I want to make sure you understand that we're not saying. Ordination, and I didn't Google this, ordination is a rite of the church rooted in the ministry of the whole people of God. In ordination, the ordained receives a, spirit, a special calling to ministry by God's gracious action.
And as a rite of the church, ordination affirms the call of God to the whole community of faith. It unites us to the church and its purposes. And the way that the spiritual gifts work in every community that is centered on Christ is that gifts will elevate. And once they elevate, um, they, people get set aside and are suddenly paid to do it. The rest of you are called to, de- to be good for nothing. <laughs> and Ryan has this special opportunity. Now, it brings tension. So these are some things that we're not saying. We're not saying that all the rest of you aren't in full-time ministry. We believe that every believer in Jesus Christ is in full-time ministry for the gospel in submission to Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of His own. We are also not saying that you aren't ambassadors, that only Ryan's supposed to do that for you. We are clear from 2 Corinthians 5 that we are all therefore called to be ambassadors for Christ. It also does not somehow place office above giftedness. He won't be the only pastor here. He won't be the only one that can do certain things. There's not two classes of believers in the room. Those who are ordained and those who aren't. But there is a tradition a rite of the church that sets aside some people for this process of ordination. It has become, unfortunately, in our culture, pretty much a joke. But I will assure you it is no joke for the elders of Westgate Church. In compliance with the laws of the land and in cooperation with the tradition of the Christian churches throughout the centuries... We are recognizing God's giftedness and blessing on Ryan. And we have, that we have already set apart. His examination, just so you know, we've been examining him for five long years. And we have set him as a part for the ministry of vocational pastoring and want to recognize Ryan within the ways allowed by the laws of this land. So, Ryan, I would like for you to please come forward. And, Jenny, if, you, if she's here, she could join us. If there are any elders and spouses of elders and pastoral staff from Westgate Church, if you would come up as well. Chip and Teresa, I would invite you to come on up if you would like to. You can kneel right there. (laughs) I would charge you with Colossians chapter 3 that says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with a heart of mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another if someone happens to have a complaint against anyone else. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also forgive others. 
And to all these virtues, add love, which is the perfect bond. Let the peace of Christ be in you and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and exhorting one another with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with all grace in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It is an honor to be a part of this journey from that 18-month-old kid that was first brought into that little tiny country church who was so messy when he ate (laughs) that I almost determined not to have children after watching him. (laughs) To see you learn to use a fork (laughs) and to come to this moment is the deepest, one of the deepest privileges that I've had as a pastor now 25 years. And so we'd like to pray for you. I'm going to lead off, and then if anyone feels led, they can also pray. And then, Jeff, you'll close our time. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we commend to you, Ryan and Jenny, the dreams the plans, the future into your good hands. We ask that you would guard their marriage, that you would protect their kids, and that you would amplify the work of the Spirit in their lives so that they would be faithful ministers of the great awesome news of Jesus. We thank you for the privilege of being part of this night. We look forward to so much. You've accomplished so many miraculous things to get us to this point. And we ask now, that in the strong name of Christ, you would bless the work of their hands. And use them mightily. Thank you for Ryan and Jenny and uh, just what they've meant uh, in my life and uh, being able to work both under and with Ryan and just to see what you've done um, in their lives to bring them here surrounding them with great people uh, to help launch awakening, and then just instilling a passion and a fire in their hearts uh, that set them in a direction where it it didn't matter uh, if anything got in the way, God, they were going to do what you've called them to do. And so, God, I pray that that passion that they uh, received months ago will continue to burn strongly in the face of opposition, in the face of challenges, that the calling you've placed on their life um, will not grow colder, but will will just burn brighter and burn hotter. And God, that, that today, the birth of Awakening Church will mark a significant turning point, uh, both here at Del Mar and throughout the Bay Area, 
and maybe through our nation, God. Use Ryan in ways that he cannot claim as his own, but God, that only he can look to you and say it was through you and your power. God, empower him in a way that just allows your word to be known and your love to be experienced. In Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for the vision that you put in Ryan and Jenny's heart five years ago uh, to build a, a ministry that would awaken a generation. Um, I thank you for this five-year journey to this mountaintop to be able to look back at the rich heritage uh, of everything that is poured into Ryan and Jenny's life and also to look forward into new valleys in the, with eager expectation for what you will do, Father. I pray that you would free them up from any hindrances that would keep them from reaching their goals that you have put in their heart. And I just pray that more and more people would come into your kingdom because of the vision that they have. May you continue to grow that in their lives. God, continue to pour extra grace and mercy in their lives, Lord. Continue to give them vision, not just for awakening, but uh, continued vision in their family and their purpose and their goals. God, when they get tired, as, as Moses' arms fell, uh, may there be errands and hers who will come alongside them and assist them and love them and encourage them through the tough times as well as the times of joy. Uh, just thank you for letting us all be one large family here in the South Bay behind them, Lord. Lord, we pray for Ryan and Jenny that Awakening Church would do justice, that they would love kindness and that Ryan and Jenny and the leaders in this church would walk humbly with you. Father, we so deeply love Ryan and Jenny and just how much they've meant to us as, as we've watched them um, come back to San Jose and, then, and just their ministry flourish and then just get to this place where something new is, is being birthed. And so we just confirm and agree, Lord, just the, the, the mighty hand of God on both of their lives. And Father, as Chip was even just praying, I just pray that um, you would deepen their roots into you, that it would sink uh, in profound and in strong ways, God, that they would both be people that are characterized by simply abiding in you and that tremendous fruit would be born through their lives and their faithfulness. And God, even as we sang earlier, you are able, and you are the faithful one, and so we're just holding and trusting that you are going to continue to do great and mighty things through them because you are always true to your promise and true to your word, and we thank you for that, God, and praise your name. Lord, we just are thankful for Ryan and Jenny. We thank you for uh, the vision they have for the, the future here and that this night is so special. We're just filled with thankfulness for what you have done. We're thankful for what you're going to do, and we give you all the credit and all the glory. We just ask that as the days and weeks and years move ahead, that uh, your word will be proclaimed, that people will have their lives changed through your Holy Spirit, and that this place would just beckon them to you. We just thank you for the future and the great opportunity that starts today. And it's an honor to be a part of it. We just are so thankful and we just, uh, we're just so excited. We ask your blessing on this place. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Just uh, a couple closing thoughts before we uh, close. Uh, um, 
First, just the whole idea of birthday has, has been one where I've been really thinking about it, and especially this is my daughter's eighth birthday this month, and we've been talking birthdays, and you know, she's asking about presents and parties and friends and all those sort of things. But something struck me a little odd in our conversation. Uh, is there something deeply missing when we celebrate birthdays? And I didn't want to miss it tonight. Uh, there, there's a part that we often overlook when we come to birthdays. Uh, and I thought, let's start right. This is our birth. This is literally the day Awakening Church was born. Uh, and here's what I found that was missing, is, is we often tend to forget the immense sacrifice that went before that enabled this new life to come. You, you ever notice that in birthdays? It's always the celebration of, of life, and it is. Uh, birthdays are a celebration of life, and, and it is a, often a mile marker of growth and maturity for us. Uh, but would we look back far enough to realize the immense sacrifice that caused this little one to come into the world, that caused this church to come to this moment. I, I mean, I think just with my daughter, I remember when the day she was born, I remember the nine months before, I remember, you know, my wife, the vegetarian, having cravings for hamburgers. <laughs> and I remember gaining empathy weight. <laughs> you know? I, I remember the nesting phase, which was, uh, you, you know, I don't know why it's so important to have the spices in alphabetical order for the baby to come, <laughs> but apparently it is. I remember eight years ago, we took a new job, moved to a new place, and bought a new house and was about to bring a new baby into the world, and life seemed chaotic. But what I m- remember most of all is I really remember the day. I remember, for whatever reason, babies come in the middle of the night, and Ella was that way. I remember the 18-hour labor. I remember my wife trying to stick to her Santa Cruz roots and go all natural, even in Georgia. Um, (laughs) And yet, 18 hours was a long time. I remember having to sit down as the weight of the moment overwhelmed me. And I remember that all the sacrifice and pain and sleepless nights was eclipsed with joy in just one single moment of holding my daughter. See, every birthday not only tells the story of the one who was born, but it should also remind us of the sacrifice that brought this new life into the world. For us awakening, there is great sacrifice for us to be here. And the men standing on this stage are are the ones who have courageously led Westgate. They have sacrificed of the greatest value, and the greatest value isn't money, and they've sacrificed greatly financially for us to launch. They sacrificed people. I don't know hardly any churches that would say, hey, we have a thriving college young adults group, and it's their idea, hey, let's send them and launch them. Let's see if we can launch a new church. And then go to the, the staff and go, hey, any of you want to come? We, we want to just send this church off right. You can be a part of it. And then go to the, the rest of the people and say, would you want to be a part of it too? 
There has been great sacrifice financially, people. Westgate is just a church that, as I think of it, that leads with humble courage, that, that exemplifies kingdom sacrifice and exudes just generous love. And we celebrate today and this moment and moving forward because we have a deep and great heritage of a church that is led courageously. Let us not forget that. And thank you, Westgate. As, as a result, Awakening, we have a heritage then to live up to a calling. It is to follow courageously after Christ. Just like we've watched and been a part at Westgate, to give sacrificially, not just of our time, not just of our money, to give sacrificially of our very lives and to express the love of God tangibly to a hurting and broken world. That is our call. And it's interesting kind of sitting here and having this night as we launch this church and it, it's just being, I think, I don't, guess I don't need that anymore. <laughs> Figured that out halfway through. <laughs> that was amazing. Mike is not even changing. <laughs> but but it, I've never heard my name repeated so many times in a church service, and I began to get a little just weirded out by it. Because what you have to understand is this church isn't about me and Jenny. This church isn't about any of the leaderships. This church is fundamentally and only about Jesus. Here's what I find interesting about birthdays. It's on your birthday that you receive a name, but you also inherit a name. You're given a name, but then also at the same time you inherit a name. When Ella came into the world, we picked out the name Ella Marie Ingram. We thought it sounded great, it had a nice ring to it. Then we finally looked up what it meant. Ella meaning elf and Marie meaning bitter, so she's our little bitter elf. (laughs) But there was another name we didn't choose for her. And that was the name Ingram. That was the name she inherited because she's my daughter. She did nothing to earn it. She just was simply born into it. My dad mentioned the Apostle Paul, and we read from the book of Acts. Uh, His original name was Saul. He was a highly educated, resourced young man. He was persecuting and killing those who identified themselves as followers of Christ. He had a spiritual awakening on a trip to persecute some followers of Christ on his way to Damascus that led to his spiritual birthday where he got, he was given a new name, Paul. But on that day, he just wasn't given a new name. He inherited a new name. And Jesus says this of Paul in Acts 9.15, and this is the call for us, church. He says, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. This is my chosen instrument to carry my name. 
I first became aware of the weight of the name Ingram when I was in grade school and I was learning to sign my name and I was trying to sign it the way I thought adults did, scribble it real fast. And my dad looked at it and he said, son, either sign your last name so people can read it or don't sign it at all. I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> but there's something about it. You're an Ingram. It was that idea of you're an Ingram. I was a part of the family that actually kept me out of a lot of trouble in high school. It, it was just this simple fact that I didn't want to do anything that would defame my dad's reputation or the Ingram name. That everywhere I went, I carried the Ingram name with me. I realized that. I tried to get away with it in private, just not publicly. Everywhere I go, even still to this day, people will come up to me having a dad that does stuff on the radio. Oh, which son are you? That's what they want to know. Are you that one, that, you know, the one that rebelled? That's always the question. <laughs> I still carry the name. I didn't do anything to earn it, work for it. Simply born into it. When you received Jesus as your Savior, you inherited a name. And everywhere you go, you carry the name of Jesus. You carry the name of Jesus to your work and to your school and to your home and to your neighbors. Everywhere you go. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. God said, I have chosen you. You are my chosen instrument to carry my name. So as we begin this journey together, let's not make it about a person at all, unless it's Jesus. Let's remember the great sacrifice that has gone into launching this new church. And may we remember as we leave out these doors every day, everywhere we go, we carry and represent the name of Jesus to all who are around us. May we represent the name of Jesus well to a hurting and broken world. Would you stand with me and we'll close. Jesus, thank you so much for this night. Thank you for the birth of Awakening Church. Thank you that uh, this is only the beginning. And we are so excited for what you have in store for us. And we just invite you from the very start, Jesus, will you lead us? And wherever you show us, we'll follow we entrust our lives and this church to you. Thank you for the great sacrifice that has been before that brought us now. In Jesus' name, amen.